Hey guys, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best resource to follow the world of men's professional volleyball. My name is Dan, and today we have a couple of very exciting topics as usual. We're going to talk about my next two teams in the power rankings for Volleyball Nations League, only about 50 days away, so coming up pretty quick here. And then of course we have some very high level professional volleyball matches to talk about in Italy, Russia, Poland. We are in the home stretch here, guys, of the club season. Only a few games left, very close to the end in crowning a champion, which is awesome. I mean, think about where we were eight months ago, the fact that we're at the end of these seasons. They actually went through like very successfully, I would say, even if it's not the same without fans. So I'm really excited to see who will be the top of the mountain who will be the champions but today i think i'm going to start with vnl so hope you guys enjoy the podcast and let's get right into it here okay i actually lied because literally as i'm recording this podcast i saw some gigantic news here guys and that is that Apparently, Perugia has just fired Vital Hainan as their coach, which is crazy on a number of levels. Of course, first of all, given the fact that they are in the final series, uh, spoiler alert, but they lost their first match against the Lube, and, you know, a fairly decisive victory for Lube, but, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that uh, Perugia wins that match, and certainly... I think they had they had a strong chance in the second match. But Vitzel Heinen, maybe not the most uh, liked coach in volleyball, but probably one of the most respected. Definitely has quite the resume, especially given you know how, how his relationship with the Polish national team is doing, and, and they seem to support him a lot, and he supports them a lot as well. So, oh man, firing Vitzel Heinen in the middle of a playoff series. I mean... <laughs> It didn't work too well for Lube this year. They also uh, fired Fernando de Giorgi when they were losing that playoff series to Zaxxon. Of course, they lost the second match as well because firing your coach like this is uh, its such a strange move in my opinion. I mean, I get it. Okay, maybe that inspires the locker room. Maybe there's some tension going on. But, but like I said in the Lube versus Zaxxon series, I mean, I get why you do it, but there's like a 0.1% chance that it helps your team. And yeah, I guess it won't hurt your team too much because it's not like there's a new offensive system or anything players can learn in such a short amount of time. But I, it's like, is Trevica really gonna play a lot better? Isn't he really gonna figure out how to set behind his head because they fired Hainan? I don't think that was Hainan's fault really. And you know, I've disagreed for sure with some of Hainan's coaching decisions. I think keeping Shawan Vernon Evans on the bench all year when he's you know, one of the leading scoring opposites in the entire Superliga last year. And he, we've barely even seen him get a chance this year. Definitely disagree with that. But I mean, I, I think he is a good player development coach. I mean, think about how much Leon has added to his game this year with all the uh, roll shots. And he can actually tip now. Think about Plotnieczki, who's added a lot to his game as well in terms of how to switch up his attacks. And, and really, I mean... I don't think this Perugia team is that bad. They're in the Superliga finals with still, I think, a pretty good chance to win. I think the serving, like I said in my preview, I think the serving needs to be there. They need the aces, which are not happening right now. We've seen uh, last match, Wilfredo Leon miss some uh, pretty crucial serves that could have turned the game around. Same with Plotnieczki. 
So I don't know if this was because of a behind the scenes blow up or, or feud or something that's been bubbling for a while, but to me, it's, it seems unprofessional for sure to, uh, to have a coach fired in the middle of a final series, but we'll see. I don't think the series is over. I think they have the talent to do well, but of course you can't be outserved by Lube Chivitanova when your whole team is built around serving. But this does open up the timeline that I would love where Shawan comes in in the finals, which whoever the new coach is, comes in, starts, plays both matches, rips off like 20, 25 points per match, leads Perugia to the Superliga trophy. That That is the only timeline that I will accept at this point. But but yeah, overall, Lube, Lube did look quite, quite strong in the last match. And we'll see where this goes. We'll see where this goes. And I'll talk about it a bit more. Uh, later on in the episode as well, the actual game that took place. Wow, so Hainan fired. I, I, I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm, I'm baffled. You guys get a bit of a live, a live reaction here from me. Anyway, let's talk about Volleyball Nations League. FIVB just came out with some nice video branding. They've had, I think, two years to uh, plan for this one. So hopefully we see some maybe new production technology, some nice uh, 50 FPS, some... Um, behind the court angles i think we're i think we're gonna see some cool stuff here i have a feeling about that um but anyway today i'm going to talk about my number 14 and number 13 ranked teams which i would i would put in a new tier uh so for those of you who didn't listen to my last episode australia was my 16th team and china was my 15th uh, power ranked team and i would put those guys in their own tier at the bottom of the list no disrespect to either country still great teams yeah, and these next two guys I'd put in tier four, and my 14th team in my VNL rankings is gonna be Germany. Now, Germany's always been a volleyball country that's fascinated me because I feel like they have the potential to be really good. Uh, and we saw that a little bit more with the women's team recently. We, I mean, we saw both teams get really close to the Olympics, both of them uh, unfortunately losing to the finals, men for France and women to Turkey. But it seems to me they always produce really good athletes. They have great training programs, great training facilities. But I guess there's just not quite as much interest in volleyball. And I think I think beach volleyball, actually, it's one of the few countries where you could say beach volleyball is maybe the more popular sport. And, and Germany, as a national team on the men's side, is a little bit in a weird kind of transition phase, I would say right now, because you have this kind of golden generation of players who got bronze at the 2014 world championships silver at this 2017 european championships so a really strong group of players but they're they're really kind of on their way out now unfortunately that was definitely that group's last run at the olympics and i'm talking about uh your grosier lucas campa uh, marcus bohm christian from those guys who who can still play but but they are probably past past their volleyball primes so I'm basing my prediction for Germany at 14 based on the fact that probably none of those guys will play. The one that maybe will make the difference is Lucas Campa, who, who I could see potentially playing, especially because Germany is not taking part in the Olympics. So really, they just have VNL and then European Championships at the end. But I'll just give you my uh, kind of projected lineup here for Germany. I think we're going to see Jan Zimmerman as the setter if Kampa doesn't come. And again, if Kampa comes, might bump up Germany a couple spots here. Julian Zenger, who's a great libero playing on Berlin Recycling Volleys this year, who, by the way, just uh, won 
German championships in pretty convincing styles. Talk about that a bit more later as well. However, I would like to see Julian Zenger. I mean, I, I really like him. I actually think he's a pretty strong libero, but I would like to see him play outside of Germany. But yeah, it's tougher for these liberos because it's a lot easier, obviously, <laughs> to play in Germany. And I don't know, he's really on the cusp of being good enough to take a foreigner spot and say a low-level Italian or Polish team. I, yeah, maybe it would be worth it. Anyway, in the middle, we have Tobias Krieg and Anton Brem. And for those of you guys who haven't been following these two players since the last Nations League, I think Tobias Creek, I, I mean, he looked amazing in the last, last Nations League. He was like one of the revelations. I had him as one of my top prospects, made a YouTube video about that. Super physical, looked really good. And he was only uh, 19, I think, at the time. The issue right now is that he's now a couple years older and I would say has not really improved his game uh, still looks like mostly the same player as he did in, in nations league 2018 2019 which is a good player by the way definitely nothing wrong with that still super physical uh still can get out to the pins relatively fast for someone his enormous size he's like seven feet tall uh, but yeah you would like to see a little more polish to his game on the serve a little more polish on his game to tightening up his uh, hand shape and, and block uh, reading. And, you know, he did get to spend some time in Italy this year on a, starting on a Super Lego team, even if they were last place. But hopefully he was uh, learning from his coach and not just uh, posting on TikTok and live streaming. And, and so where I'm going with this is that a guy who I would say was mostly ranked below Tobias Creek in uh, 2019, Anton Brem. Another super tall, classic German middle. Uh, probably, I would even say, is a better prospect or a better player right now. Did a great job for the Berlin Recycling Volleys this year. A little shorter, but not that much. He's still huge. I think he's uh, 6'10", uh, but pretty fast, pretty strong. And I think he's really developed his blocking a lot more than Creek in terms of not just relying on his athleticism, but really um, paying attention to the minutiae. That makes a good middle blocker because it is really difficult to really nail down the exact mechanics of improving your block. And it's a tough position because you work for years to maybe like get your blocking one, two percent better. But that makes so much of a difference in volleyball. Anyway, yeah, I think those two guys will be the mountains in the middle for Germany in the absence of Marcus Bohm. But I do think Brem will start to turn eyes a little more than Tobias Creek. That's my prediction there. And then... In the outside hitter position for Germany, we have kind of a trio of guys, I would say, that are the most likely uh, starters without uh, Christian Frome playing. And that's Moritz Rechart, who I picked as my rookie of the year in my Polish awards YouTube video. Go check that out if you haven't seen it. Had a pretty uh, solid season in Gdansk. Nothing, you know, head turning, but very solid, fairly efficient. Uh, we have Moritz Karlitzek, who had a very up-and-down season. And Monera looked very impressive, I would say, coming out the gate. And, and Karlitzek is a guy who I've had my eye on for uh, quite a while, uh, ever since he was in Frankfurt. But yeah, he, I mean, he looked really good at times with Monera. Looked super bouncy, athletic, strong. Had a few great serving runs with a pretty deceptively powerful spin serve, but also had moments where he was uh, on the bench, couldn't pass. Uh, was struggling with his decision-making in the front court. 
So we'll see which side of Carlitz. Like I think, I think he has the potential to be the best player out of all these three when he's playing at his best. But he's he's certainly a bit of a risk. But I, I'm sure we'll see him quite a bit given given that he's still pretty young. And then of course my favorite player, uh, the third outside hitter. I mean. Ruben Schott actually did have a pretty good season in Olsten and Poland this year. The team didn't do that well, but I think it was just a really weird pairing at outside hitter with him and Robert Andrinja, kind of like two of the same player. So Schott, if you don't know, is a very defensive-minded player, pretty low level of athleticism while also being short, but he is a very solid receiver. He has long arms, which helps in the heights and athleticism department. And he has a really powerful arm swing. So that sometimes makes up for his lack of ability to uh, get up high over the net. But yeah, he's he's one of those players that's probably going to pass and hit at about the same efficiency. So he, he's probably the safest bet over these three guys. But it, you know, if I were the coach, I would probably go Reichardt and uh, Karlitzek with shot as maybe a reception third outside hitter if you're dealing with a particularly tough serving team and that wouldn't be the most interesting list of players but you know one of the guys who i highlighted as one of the players to watch this year at nations league linus weber who had a fantastic season this year in friedrichshafen undoubtedly i think he's going to move to italy next year i already heard his name associated with padova but he's definitely going to be the scorer on this team which you know maybe that makes more sense now than think about it if shots one of the starting outside hitters, because you can get a lot of offense out of Linus Weber. He can take a high set load and score it pretty efficiently, which is, of course, what you want your opposite to do, and, and still pretty young. So he's going to get a lot of burn this year, which is great, because I was so tired of watching Simon Hirsch play volleyball. Yeah, so I think him almost by himself is worth checking out a couple of Germany's matches this year, but I don't think they're as talented as as many of the other teams i think they kind of have this weird mismatch of skills where you know some of their players are, are really technical and shorter in, in zimmerman and shot and a couple of their players are unskilled but taller like uh, moitz richard and the uh, tobias creek so yeah I, I i'm not really seeing the thesis of this team maybe if linus weber really like steps forward and becomes kind of the centerpiece they can build around but i don't think he's at that level yet Maybe Karlitzek could could do something to that effect as well. But just too many good teams in Nations League. And yeah, especially because they're not going to send those older veteran guys, almost undoubtedly not going to send them. I, I think 14 is about right. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're even maybe a bit lower. All right. So I think I just talked for like five minutes straight, if not more about Germany. But we haven't had national teams play in so long, guys. I'm excited to get it back. But let's get right into my number 13 ranked team in Nations League, Slovenia, who, first of all, congrats, Slovenia, getting into Nations League. That is huge. They were completely robbed in 2017, because if you guys don't remember the old system, there used to be three groups of 12 teams. It was called the World League before it was called Nations League. And they basically created the entire system to keep Slovenia out of group one, because Slovenia beat Japan in the finals of Group 2 in 2017, which if they were keeping the system of World League, they would have qualified to the finals, uh, sorry, to Group 1 in 2018. But instead, they created the Nations League, which, you know, I like as a concept, I guess, other than the fact that there's 12 teams that can never leave. 
but they didn't include Slovenia as one of those 16 teams, even though there were 12 teams before and Slovenia would have qualified. So, yeah, I think they did it on uh, world ranking points, which Slovenia didn't have enough of, of course, because they are a European country and mid-level European countries get hammered in international rankings because of the competitiveness of Europe. So, yeah, Slovenia, I'm happy for them, and I'll be rooting for them this year, if nothing more than uh, karmic justice. And, I mean, they have a good team as well. They're well-deserved here. Uh, I'll just go through my starting lineup like I did for Germany. Think Libero, one of the most underrated Liberos in the game. Yanni Kovacic had a great season on Ravenna this year, locking it down in the reception line there. Definitely an underrated guy, maybe a little less after Eurovolley 2019. Dan Vincic was playing in Friedrichshafen this year, the classic prototypical tall setter. Not the cleanest hands, not the most creative, but when you have a setter who's 6'7 and can, has decent ball placement, you're going to take that. The position that I probably think is the weakest, I would say, in the starting lineup is Tonchek Stern, who, who I know a lot of people like. But if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know I'm pretty critical of Tonchek Stern. I think he lacks creativity in attack. I don't think he knows how to attack the block that well. I think a lot of the time it, he just seems to randomly hit it as hard as he can near the block and, and just pray that he gets the tool. But he is a very athletic, powerful guy, so it does work. But unfortunately, that at least uh, the last couple of years, it's led to him hitting, you know, pretty low 30s, high 20s hitting efficiency, which my least favorite type of player in volleyball is the high volume, low efficiency opposite hitter. So just not a fan of that kind of player. So sorry, Stern. I, I don't think we're going to see Micha Gasparini. Uh, he's probably a little too old to play in something like Nations League at this point, although... They could bring him along, given the fact that they definitely don't want to lose their spot in uh, Nations League after just one year. But, I mean, even if he does play, he's, he's a little over the hill at this point. But my next pick, I think uh, Alan Payank will actually play. I think Slovenia, like I said, will bring some of their older established players because they are at risk of, of dropping down, out. And then, it, of course, it's so hard to get back in once you're out and kind of an annoying process. You have to win the European Golden League and then you have to win the Challenger Cup as well. And, you know, there's like Cuba's desperate to get in after last year. Portugal's always a threat. Belgium also, the Netherlands. So there's some good teams that would like to get into Nations League. So that's why I think Slovenia will bring him, Payank, and also Tine Ernauts on the outside hitter position. So, of course, the other middle being Jan Kazamernik, who had a, you know, a bit of a down year actually for Milano. Uh, wasn't as impressed with him this year after a fantastic Eurovolley 2019. Of course, Slovenia coming in second in Eurovolley 2019, beating Russia and Poland, both of those teams fully healthy. One of the most fun runs we've had in international volleyball. And you may be asking why, okay, Dan, why isn't Slovenia higher if they were the second place team in Europe? Okay, so reason one, playing in front of their home fans, I think helped a lot. If you've ever seen the Slovenian volleyball fans, they are super passionate, super loud, and you know just love the team, love the sport. One of the best fan bases, I would say, I've been lucky to have seen in real life. So I, I would say that's factor one. Factor two is just kind of luck. I think they caught Poland and Russia a little bit off guard. All their guys were playing some of the best volleyball we've seen them play, so... 
those two things always add up. And then three, you know, the team's a little older now. Team right now, it's Alan Payank, Dejan Vincic. Two years is a lot for these guys kind of in their early to mid-30s. So at this level, losing some of that juice, losing some of that bounce can hurt a lot. And I think we've seen that probably most starkly with Tien Aaron out, who's, who's still pretty good, don't get me wrong, but he's definitely not the dynamic athletic threat that he was earlier in his career. So yeah, hopefully Cosmerna can bounce back. It'll be really important for them. And then the other two outside hitters, of course, Clemence Bulge, who, who actually had a really good season in Rosovia, one of the bright spots for that team this year, playing really well in Poland, was actually pretty close, I would say, to being one of my all-stars for the league, for the regular season. And then, of course, guys, guys, you know this, my favorite player to talk about. He's next up. Going to play in Italy next year for sure. The one, the only, rock star Mozic. Rock Mozic, the young, athletic, Slovenian outside hitter, the protege of Tien Aaron Out. They play beach volleyball together. Dominated completely the Slovenian league. It was, was way too good for, for that league by the end of it. Probably going to play a starting role on a, on a mid-level Italian team next year. So very excited to see him play. Very excited for more people to know his name because I feel like I've been on, on the Rock Mozic you know, bandwagon for a while. I told you guys about Addis Lagumja that once he went to Italy, fireworks would happen. And I think I, I feel the same way about Rock Mozic. And hopefully, you know, he gets a decent amount of playing time this year in VNL. I, I do think he'll be definitely be the third guy off the bench to start maybe maybe even the fourth guy if 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 there's some weird coaching stuff going on but i think uh, he will have some impressive games this year and i'm really looking forward to watching him play anyway there's my vnl recap so just a reminder 16 australia 15 china 14 germany 13 slovenia next podcast will have my 12th and 11th team and i feel like my 11th team will ruffle a few feathers <music> All right, so sorry to my club volleyball fans making you wait till this far in the podcast, but you guys have been spoiled. We talked a lot of club volleyball over the last few months, and we already went over the big news that happened while I was recording the podcast. I guess another big piece of news in the club volleyball world, Modena's chairman made a post welcome, welcoming Irvin Enkapit back home from the cold, harsh winters of Kazan, Russia, so hashtag anger back is gonna happen next year it looks like which is gonna be very exciting to see i always i always felt like yeah i i agree with that modena was Angapet's home that he just looks way more natural in those modena colors compared to the kazan colors which i think what we all agree after the last few years was not exactly a perfect fit so yeah i mean transfer season coming up guys it's already starting Probably going to do a YouTube video about it in a bit, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And yeah, let's talk about Perugia beating Lube Civitanova in the first game of the best of five series in the Italian League Finals. Of course, like I mentioned before, this is like the 100th time that these teams have played each other. I think actually the 10th time or 9th they played each other in the last few years. So we've seen this story before, but... You know, like any good series, there's always a few wrinkles here and there. And I think the biggest story of this one was uh, the leading scorer of both teams. How about Robert Landy Simon? Who says you can't run your offense through the middle? 
This is why I think he's the best middle and fly ball right now. 17 for 22, attacking with two airs, and oh, an ace in three blocks for 21 points in four sets for the big, bald Cuban middle. Absolutely unreal stuff. And they had a matched up against Roberto Russo a lot, which is just an absolutely nasty matchup for Russo. Soleil can hold his own a little bit better, but still, even in this one, Soleil was getting chewed apart pretty well. And I feel bad for Simone Anzani. I mean, you have one middle getting 22 sets and uh, your other middle getting six sets. But I mean, it makes sense. He, he really is such an offensive threat in that combination between him and DeChico. I mean, I if I were a manager, I would I would pay whatever it takes. I would consider them a package deal because I think these two guys work so well together and you saw it in this one. But I do think even though Lube hit 55%, had their middle score 22 points, you know, I do think Perugia had a couple uh, chances there. We had this moment in the fourth set, I believe, where Muzai, Machi Muzai, by the way, who has... I think he's, has a, he's a bit of an underrated server now. I've been watching some uh, behind the court footage and it actually has a pretty nasty spin to it when he, when he can get it over successfully. But anyway, he scores two aces, ties it up at 9-9. And you know, okay, Perugia back in the game. They're only down one set, could come back here. But then just a couple bizarre errors for Perugia. And this is why I think they made the coaching change because I feel... Like they weren't like necessarily all the time getting strictly outplayed by Lube. They were just making some really strange errors, some attacking, you know, into the net. We saw Wilfredo Leon hit a couple balls where he just missed Dechaco's hand by like centimeters and then hit the next one out of bounds. So uncharacteristic errors like that. And also, of course, Travica definitely not putting the ball in place consistently as well. Maybe I'm an optimist here, guys. And maybe I shouldn't say this after they just fired their coach, but I, I do think uh, I do think Perugia still has a chance there. Of course, Lube was totally keyed in on Wilfredo Leon, sending doubles and triples uh, over to him whenever possible. So I don't think uh, Perugia really did anything to counterplay that. I think they just leaned into Leon even harder, who had uh, 36 attacking attempts, uh, scored on 15 with six errors. So not the greatest match from him but again the entire game plan was you know serve leon every time get him cramped up get him out out of his rhythm and we don't think anyone else on the team can beat him and and like i've been saying a lot this season as well Ole potnitschke has really kind of been struggling the last couple months as that second outside hitter to wilfredo leon you know this is the match where i would love to see potnitschke take on a bigger role you know Wilfredo Leon he's getting trapped he's getting served short he's getting all this junk thrown at him okay so let's open it up for Plotnitschke who uh who has a lot more opportunities to score instead we saw some weird stuff from him and I don't know how fully this is Trevitz's fault or Plotnitschke's fault but we saw some like uh, several two-handed set attacks he looked unconfident apprehensive to really bang the ball uh, had a couple poorly timed airs as well. So Plotnetsky, they would have loved to see him better as well. And, and this is a crazy thing. Like, <laughs> I feel like Perugia played terribly. Like, both their outside hitters, Plotnetsky, Leon had bad games. Trevica, I mean, he, he scored five attacks, which is hilarious. He was uh, dumping a lot, which I think was a, was a good game plan. And cl clearly was in the game plan, given that he attempted seven dumps. But... Yeah, he did not have the greatest game either. 
I predicted Machi Muzai to start. Instead, we saw Teister Horse, and then Muzai came in in the fourth. And while he had that those two aces that I told you about, only three for 11 attacking. So I don't know what we're going to see in the second one, but I feel like Perugia had a terrible game. Lube played very well. So that's why I don't think this series is over because I think Perugia definitely has another level that we've seen many times this season. However, saying that, obviously game two, a must win for them. Going down 2-0 against Lube Civitanova as they're currently constructed is, is insanity. So next game going down on Sunday, 6 p.m. for those of you in Europe. 12 noon for you guys in North America right now. It looks like you guys are having better weather than we are. What is this? Um, but yeah, definitely must watch sports over there in Rye Sport. Hopefully a lot of you guys have the capacity to watch that because <laughs> new coach for Perugia. We'll see who it is. I, I don't even know who's available right now. And of course, if you guys have been following the Polish league, then you know the huge upset that happened last night. And that is... Yastrzemski Vegiel beating the absolutely unbeatable Zaksia Kiedzerz in Kozil in four sets, three to one. And it wasn't like a super tight game either. It was a fairly decisive victory in the favor of Yastrzemski Vegiel. And I don't know, man. I think uh, Zaksa just looked a little gassed out there last night. Definitely Zatorski is not fully healthy. He was not moving nearly as quick to the ball, looked exhausted. Benjamin Taniyudi had a bit of a rough game too. The team only hitting 33% efficiency. Wasn't quite as surgically precise as he usually is. Would not want to get an operation done by Taniyudi last night. And, and of course, I, I don't want to put the blame on one person, but Alexander Schlifka was absolutely horrendous with a staggering negative 18% hitting efficiency. Five kills, nine errors out of 22 attempts. So that was super rough by him. Yeah, just uh, Camille Smenik, great though attacking. 15 for 23, however, did struggle with the passing a little bit. And credit to Yastrzemski Vegil as well. I think because they didn't participate in Champions League this year that they've flown a little bit under the radar. And especially, I, I don't think the, the names on the team are that great as big as well but but they have been very solid this year of course the man of the match this game for sure had to be Tomish for now hitting 15 for 21 looking great out there and it's you know I feel like we've almost forgotten about him we're always debating Schlifka, Semenya, Szwolek who's going to be the next uh, Polish outside hitter playing at on all these big Olympic type events and and of course Thomas Fernal is there too. He's he's really a strong player. Looked great in this one. Love the energy that the team is getting from him, him as well. Yasin Lewati is the other outside hitter. Uh, pretty strong as well with a very clutch three aces uh, for 16 points. And that was a bit of a story. Nine aces for Yastrzemski Vegiel, which is a lot more than Zaxa usually gives up in a four-set match. And usually you see teams target Alexander Schlifka quite a bit uh, and he was the biggest target this uh this match but i would say in this match they were they were mostly just uh going for power rather than precision and it seemed like the way to go with zatorski uh only getting in five passing attempts in this game the main libero being adrian stashevsky and yeah they did not look as confident and precise and on the same page as they usually do. I think probably a lot of it is just due to the exhaustion 
you know, playing in those crazy five set matches against Zenit Kazan, having to, you know, hype yourself up for Lube Chivatanova as well. I'm sure it must be exhausting. Also, having to go the extra game against Scrab Belhadov as well. They Zax has played a lot of volleyball this season. And and while they are having a, you know, a storybook Cinderella season for sure, uh, I think you know, we can't forget that a lot of these wins have been in very close, tense, emotionally and physically draining situations. So I hope that's not uh, the case and, and, and they just had an off day, but we could see some of the wear and tear both on the body and the mind start to add up in this one. It's a shame because, you know, give them a week of rest. I'm sure they would be fine, ready to go. But given that everything's happening so fast, it could be tough. I think at the same time, they will be fine for the super finals if they do have you know that week to kind of rest but we'll see and of course the question is here if uh i don't want i don't want to jinx them like this but if they lose in the polish cup final or lose in the plus league of finals and win the champions league is that a successful season I, i want to hear you guys uh thoughts on that because i don't know i feel like i feel like they need to have the polish plus league there as well and to and the champions league to have, you know, the totally complete, amazing, for the record book season. Of course, we can't forget the Russian League, which saw a, a very quick one game between Dynamo Moscow and Zenit St. Petersburg. Uh, absolutely very, very entertaining game. Dynamo Moscow, the well-deserving champions. I mean, they, they, they were the best team in Russia this year for sure. I just came out with my all-star team in, in awards for the Russian League. So go check that on 5-1 Volleyball YouTube channel uh, when you guys get a chance. And I picked Pavel Pankov as my best setter, most improved player, and MVP. And I think I was very, very accurate with that one. He was amazing this season and in this finals. You know, so game ready, so athletic, so smart with how he's setting the ball. Uh, definitely one of my favorite setters to watch this year. And the funny one with with uh, Pankov is that I feel like he's really not afraid to ride the hot hand. He's not one of those guys who's gonna uh, overthink things and, and distribute and you know you know playing with the middle to establish the middle and then and then trying to trying to fool the blockers. He's just like whoever's gonna score points, I'm gonna set you and I'm gonna set you perfectly. And I, I think that's what he did in the finals, getting Sokolov 41 setting attempts, and they had a great connection this year in Sokolov doing a great job on terminating on those balls. I promise I'm only going to spend a second on this and you can't uh, you can't fault them too much when they want, but guys, Sam Daru is the best outside hitter on this team. Why why was he on the bench for almost the entire finals? That one did not make any sense to me. But of course they won, so it's fine all's well that ends well, but if Sam Daru had been on the bench and, and Dynamo Moscow had lost, I don't know. I, I I think I would be very much questioning the coaching decisions for Moscow, but Anyway, they should be celebrating. Uh, Anton Semyshev and Yaroslav Plodnishek, still two great Russian outside hitters. Uh, Vadim Lekhoshestov had an absolutely crazy good game in this one, including some very entertaining celebrations. Uh, Five kill blocks and probably another five very solid blocks, I'll call them. Yeah, he was all over the place. He's he's an above seven-footer that can move his feet. And when you're playing against a very slow-paced team like Zenit St. Petersburg with the big guys Kameho and Kliuka and he has the time to get out there that's that's really when he thrives and, and he did in this one that being said it was actually a pretty entertaining pretty close match 
It took some clutch serving runs from Pankov and Podlishnek to seal this one. And I still feel like Zenit St. Petersburg didn't have their best game either. Kameho was still pretty limited, still not sure if he's fully healthy. Ivan Yakovlev, who's usually one of the best uh, middle servers in volleyball, missed his last four, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, and I think it's just the matchup was bad for Zenit St. Petersburg. I think Dynamo Moscow beat them eight times this season without even one five-setter. Thank you to Flying Hats in the Volleyball Source Discord for that one. And, yeah, well, again, well-deserved for Moscow. Won CV Cup, won Russian League. W would have loved to see how they did in Champions League because given the way they were playing the rest of the season, I uh, would not have been surprised if, if they were in the Super Finals through that route as well. We'll see if they can keep the, uh, keep the crew together for last season. Uh, I, I assume Sam DeRue will be leaving to somewhere where he's going to get playing time. I... Even though they won, I can imagine he was a little, um, a little annoyed about that situation. But I'm so excited to see what Pankov is going to do going forward. And he needs to set in the Olympics, guys. There's no, there's no question that he's the best Russian setter right now. Pankov, number one, probably Kobzar, I would bring as a second guy. And, you know, I, I'm saying it right now, I would, I would probably cut Buko off the team for the Olympics. I think given the way he played right now in Zenikazan. Not all his fault for sure, but he was definitely a part of their situation, which I will get to now because Zenikazan, you know, great job. They won the fifth place game against Fekulnovi Urungoy 3-1 to qualify guys. Zenikazan will be playing in the Challenge Cup next year. That's right. Not, not Champions League, not CV Cup, Zenikazan will be in the Challenge Cup, which, you know, was probably unfathomable three or four years ago when they were winning their, like, fourth Champions League title in a row with Wilfredo Leon and Matt Anderson. You know, I, I hope they have the humbleness, I guess is the right word, to still participate in the Challenge Cup because I think it is still a really, really entertaining co uh, competition. We saw some great matchups in the finals and semifinals for both the CV Cup and Challenge Cup this year. Some, still some great teams. So we'll see. Zenik is on. I'm sure they will break up a lot of the team. I believe Buko is... They said a goodbye message to Buko today. We saw Irvin Angapets with the post going to Modena. Micah Christensen probably coming into Zenik Kazan as well. So it's going to be a new look team in Kazan for sure. Interest to see how this goes. Because I, I hope they don't just... Uh, you know, pull funding and blow it up because I do think they're they're such a legendary club at this point that that uh, it's time for a retool, right? Like Greg Popovich and the Spurs. Like you can't be good forever. You can be good for a really long time. You can be good for 15 years, but you know, being good for 50 years is just not in the cards. So, so Zenikazan, absolutely legendary run, probably the best club volleyball run ever, and I'm sure we'll see them back in the big stage sooner rather than later. Of course, they could actually have some pretty good competition in the Challenge Cup with uh, Skrab Elchitov potentially also playing there, depending on how the series with Frisava goes. And finally, guys, before I sign off today, the Bundesliga Finals took place and a solid 3-0 victory for Berlin. And that means they win the series, the best of five series, 3-0 as well. The only close one being that first match, so... Well done to Berlin this year. I mean, we saw them in Champions League. Probably not the strongest team they've ever had, although they did qualify for the quarterfinals. Although they probably wouldn't have done that even if Yastrzemski Vegil joined the team. I've been definitely a bit critical of their team composition at points this season. 
you know, given the weakness of their outside hitters, in my opinion, compared to the rest of their positions. But, you know, it still feels good winning uh, the German Cup, beating still a very good team in Friedrichshafen, whose highest scorer was the aforementioned Linus Weber, who had a good game hitting 16 for 29. But the rest of the team really couldn't get anything going there. Rears Bailey and the Romanian outside hitter had a Alexander Schlithka-esque game hitting 3 for 16 with 6 airs for the negative hitting percentage. And Ben Patch, guys, has looked pretty good down the stretch at the end of the season here. You know, he signed for Berlin for another three seasons, but probably it's more interesting for you American fans who are going to see him potentially, you know, playing a decently big role in the VNL for sure. And I, I think he'll be on the Olympic roster. I, I would imagine he would be on the Olympic roster. And, you know, given that Matt Anderson hasn't played volleyball in over a year, that's a little scary. So definitely you want Ben Patch to be playing well as uh, collateral. Also shout out Cody Kessel starting on the team at the end of the season. Great story there. An American just grinding, grinding, rising his way through the ranks of pro volleyball. I love to see it. You know, when guys really dedicate to their craft, don't give up after a couple first tough seasons. And, you know, Dustin Wadden's another guy who, who went through this as well. Guys who didn't start at the top coming out uh, into the world of pro volleyball, which can be pretty unrewarding and difficult uh, if you're not one of those big names. So, uh, yeah, great, great story for Cody Castle and, and hope all the best for him going forward. Maybe even get a spot in the VNL roster. I, I would actually love to see that. Anyway, guys, that is a long enough podcast for tonight. We have a lot of important matches this weekend, mostly Lube Perugia and the second game on Sunday of Yastrzeb Vegil and Zaksikas Jurzyn Kojle. So we could have our Polish champion as well this weekend. And then after that, we just have the Super Finals to look forward to. So that, of course, is going to be a very exciting cap to a great season of volleyball and then right into Nations League. Looking forward to it all, and I will talk to you guys next week.